hear me? Wave. Sweet. All right, awesome. Um, okay, so this is a little bit weird and uh, will take a little bit of getting used to. So uh, bear with me, I'll bear with you, and, and we'll see how this thing works. Uh, so normally when I uh, normally when I get up here at the beginning of the table, I usually say something along the lines of, we're so glad you're here with us uh, tonight. So glad you've come here to study God's word with us, to join in a time of kind of fellowship, whatever it may be. But it's kind of uh, weird that I, I don't get to say that tonight. Uh, I can say I'm glad you're watching, but I don't get to say I'm glad you're here with us uh, because it's just literally me and Scott in this empty room. And um, if I could be honest with you guys, I, I kind of hate that. Uh, I really do. Uh, I wish that we could be all together tonight. I wish that uh, we could uh, get to hang out and, and hug and say hi and all of those things. Uh, but we don't get to do that. And, and there is really something about that that kind of sucks. Um, and if I'm honest with you, actually, uh, there's really something about this whole thing that has just kind of sucked in a lot of ways, and uh, I don't know if you're feeling that or not, but in the last couple days, I did not expect it to hit me like this, but in the last couple days, it started hitting me. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm sick of everyone I talk to having to be on a screen, and I'm tired of feeling kind of cooped up in my house and not getting to be able to get out very much to do stuff, and, and I'm tired of the way my phone has been going crazy because uh, all our staff and everyone is trying to stay in touch with each other. Every, everything, all our plans have been just kind of thrown up in the air. And so we're trying to kind of touch base constantly um, to see what's going on. And, and I've, I've felt in me the last couple days just this um, anxiety or this stress in me every time my phone goes off and even the, the need to get on another meeting and talk with someone. I just, I hate all of this stuff. Uh, in a lot of ways, and, and I don't know if you're feeling that, if it's been uh, hard for you like it has for me. I'm guessing it has to be for some of you guys. Um, man, most of you guys uh, have just been kind of plucked up from the place you were living, and you find yourself back home unexpectedly. Like, you had all these plans for the rest of the semester, and things you were going to be doing with friends and roommates and all of that stuff, and then just kind of like that, Everything just kind of changed and you got placed back um, in your house, back in your parents' home, or, uh, or, or maybe you're still in Stillwater, but all your friends picked up and left and all those things. And that's just uh, hard and that's just weird. Uh, I remember actually my freshman year, uh, Christmas break, and I'm back in Muskogee. I've been going to school in Joplin and I'm back in Muskogee and I, I was kind of having a rough time back there. Uh, I had developed all of these really good friends during my first semester, and it's amazing sometimes in college how quickly your community can form. And so I had these really great friendships and, and this really incredible community around me that was encouraged me, and I felt like I was growing. And, and I went back home to Muskogee, and um, even though I have a good family and I like being around my family, I just found myself being kind of lonely and missing my friends. And then I also found myself starting to fall back into some old sin habits, uh, Sin habits that I honestly, I, I thought I had left behind when I went to college. 
but that were kind of there to haunt me when I went back home. I found myself going back to some of the same temptations and same problems I had had before, and I was really frustrated by this. I remember one day being in the upstairs room of my parents' house and starting to pray to God, and I I remember saying, uh, these words just came out of my mouth, God, I just want to be home. And as soon as I said those words, I kind of stopped for a second and thought, wait a second, did I just... I'm sitting in my home, but I just called Joplin home. And it was this weird realization that, that I had kind of started this new life in another town, and that felt more like home to me. And that was weird. And, and so I know for you to not be expecting it to just be there all of a sudden is weird and might be tough for you. For, for maybe a lot of you, this whole thing has been kind of hard, and, and, and for various reasons. Maybe... Um, Maybe for some of you it's anxiety, and, and as you watch the news regularly and keep track of what's going on, up to 7,500 deaths in Italy. Uh, yesterday, I think it was something like 633 people in one day died in Spain. And you're tracking uh, on social media and, and you're getting the updates that keep shooting to your phone constantly and watching news and you're, you're kind of wondering, like, is this us next? Are, are we going to start to have some of those same effects over here? And I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you start to think about loved ones getting sick or yourself getting sick and, and, and there's a lot of fear that begins to come with that. Maybe for some of you it's been hard just because you're lonely, because you've been severed from the community that has been such a big part of your life for the last semester or the last two or three years, and you're just there by yourself, and you miss your friends, and you miss the community and the people who encouraged you. Maybe some of you, this is hard because, kind of like me, you find yourself with a lot of free time on your hands going back to some of the same temptations and the same sin patterns that you were doing when you were in high school. And in your mind you're thinking, I thought I was done with this stuff and these temptations are still here though when I come home. Um, for a number of you, I'm guessing there's, there's just some level of hardship in the fact that you are back in your family again, with your family, living with this group of people and that fi- family dynamic is just kind of tough sometimes. Maybe, maybe you don't got a good family. And maybe you love being away from that place and hate that now you're stuck back there. Maybe you've got a good family like I did, but there's just something weird that's happened because you feel like you've grown and you've kind of become this new person since you've been at college, uh, but your family doesn't necessarily see that new person. They still see the old you and still kind of treat you like the old you, and you hate that, but at the same time, you, you also realize that you're kind of acting like the old you again. And all of that is just kind of frustrating for you. Whatever it may be, I believe that there's a lot of us that just have a lot of difficulty with the situation that this has put us in for whatever reason it may be for you. And so tonight what I want to do is I just want to talk to that. I want to speak to that idea of some of the difficulty that some of us are facing right now. And, and tonight we're going to be in James. We'll, we'll resume our study through Romans next week. Um, we'll jump back in, pick up where we left off, and, and see that all the way through. But tonight I just want to give you a word from James because this is something in the last couple of days when I've been struggling. This is a word that has been encouraging and helpful for me. And I hope, and my prayer has been today, that it will be helpful for you as we go through. So I'm in James chapter 1, if you want to go there, uh, towards the end of the New Testament, right there after Hebrews, right before First and Second Peter. James chapter 1, and I want to start right in verse 2. James, after introducing himself, jumps right into it. 
So here's what he says. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. So two things I want you to note there real quick. First, he says this. He says, consider joy whenever you experience various trials. That word various is like uh, multicolored in the Greek. It, it literally means just kind of like all across the spectrum, everything you can think of, any kind of hardship or trial you may face in your life, whether that is anxiety or, or uh, conflict or temptation or whatever that is, um, all of these, James said, I'm lumping all of it in when I say this. And then the second thing he says, and, and this is surprising, he says, consider it a great joy. Now, I, I would totally get it if James said, hang in there whenever you face trials or hardships. I would totally get it if he said, hey, keep your head up or, or just keep going whenever your faith is tested. Don't get too discouraged. But that's not what he says. He actually says, uh, be happy whenever hard things happen to you. Um, consider it a joy, not just a joy. He says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience a testing of your faith. And, and just, you know, James is saying this to people who are dealing with um, things that are probably a lot worse than the coronavirus. Um, he's talking to people who know regularly what it is to, to face diseases that they have no medical answer for yet. That, that they just have to watch loved ones die. He's talking to people, you'll see in the next few verses, he starts talking about being poor. And so he's talking to people in deep poverty who, who wonder sometimes how they're going to get enough food to feed their kids. And he's talking to people who are being persecuted for their faith. And in the middle of that, James says to them, hey, when someone is opposing you because of your faith, when you're starting to go hungry, consider it a great joy. When you're feeling like your anxiety is starting to overwhelm your life, when you miss all your friends and you're lonely, consider it a great joy. How can James say that? Why would James be able to not just say hang in there, but count it a joy? Count it as something to be sort of happy about even? Well, the answer is because, starting in verse 3 right here, because you know, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So my wife, one of her favorite things to do, Amy, one of her favorite things to do is ride her bike around Boomer Lake. Uh, especially like right at this time of year where the weather's finally starting to get nice. It's starting to get a little bit warmer, but it's not just um, sweltering like in, in June and July. It's, it's beautiful. She loves to get out any morning she can. Over the last few days, I've come home on my lunch break and I've taken the kids and she's gone out and ridden her bike and she just loves that. It's relaxing for her. It gives her a little bit of exercise, all of those things. And, and so she'll go ride around the lake a few times and then come back. And whenever she does, uh, I always always ask her almost every time the same question. How was your ride? How was your ride? Did you enjoy your ride today? And most of the time, she'll tell me yes. Most of the time, it was, it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Man, I really needed that. She'll say that. Um, but there are a lot of times she'll also add this. It was really good, and I was really enjoying it until I came around that one corner. And the corner she's talking about, you, you may know it, it's at the corner of Airport and Husband. It goes on to the east side of the lake there, right where Kicker is. goes right past Kicker. And when she turns on that side of it and starts going south, um, 
Very often she'll tell me, it's like I hit a wall of wind. Like all the wind sweeps from that side right across the lake. And she's like, I, it's like I just ran headfirst into a wall. And then what happens is this bike ride that was peaceful and, and just kind of relaxing becomes hard work. It becomes like a strain as she has to dig in going into this headwind to push herself forward and to keep momentum. And the whole thing changes in that moment to a struggle. So question, um, is that headwind that my wife faces almost every time she comes around that corner, is that headwind good for her or bad for her? The answer to that question is this. Well, it depends on what her objective is. See, if the objective is to have a nice, relaxing bike ride, if the objective is to not break a sweat, then that's a bad thing for her. That ruins the whole point of what the bike ride is about, the whole reason she's out there. But if the objective is to build endurance, if the objective is to burn calories, if the objective is to get stronger than that headwind, difficult as it may be, is a really good thing for her. And one of the issues that I think I've faced sometimes when it comes to my life is that I have different objectives for it than God does. Um, that, that often, if I'm honest, my main objectives for my life is that everything would go smoothly. My main objectives is that my life would be worry-free and stress-free and pain-free and it would be comfortable and there wouldn't be any bumps or hiccups in the road or any headwinds that I have to face. And so when things like loneliness pop up, that ruins the whole objective and the whole point of my life. When things like um, stress come up when things uh, like anxiety or, or conflict with my family come up that goes against everything I'm living for in that moment. And of course, that means that it would be a bad thing, right? Except for that James tells me here that God doesn't always have the same objective that I have. God's objective is, is actually a lot bigger than my own objective for myself. That God's objective is that I would grow. God's objective is that I would become, as he says, mature and complete, lacking nothing. That God, what God wants for my life, what God wants for your life, is to make us into the image of Jesus. And for that reason, these things, James says, these things that may be really, really hard for us can also be really, really good for us. And that's not saying, by the way, James isn't saying that they're not hard. He's not saying that they don't suck. Okay, um, just like it, it's whether it's a good thing or bad thing for my wife when she runs that headwind, there's no denying that it's a hard thing. And, and James is not saying, hey, really the things you're going through aren't that big a deal. James isn't saying, well, you just need a different kind of perspective and you realize this really is kind of fun. He, he's not um, one of those uh, naive optimists who's just sitting there in the burning room saying, this is fine, everything is fine, okay? That's, that's not James. He knows that persecution is hard. He knows that loneliness is hard. He knows that, uh, that being separated from people you love and cut off and, and having facing temptation, that all of that stuff is hard. But what James is saying is that even when it is hard, God can take those really, really difficult things and use it for my good. That he can use it, more importantly, to bring himself glory as he makes me into a new kind of person. So what if, what if your anxiety is supposed to be that? What if the reason God lets you 
deal with anxiety sometimes is because he sees in it an opportunity for you to learn deeper trust in him. That maybe something like a a worldwide pandemic is the one thing that you need to be able to see the truth, which is that you're never really in control of your own life anyway. Like you think you are. You think you've got it all together, but the truth is that you you can't control all the variables. You don't have that power. There's only one person who does. So what if anxiety is your one chance to be able to take what's already true, that I don't have control, and hand that over to God and learn to trust Him in ways that you never have before? What if your loneliness is this opportunity for you to, as you sit there in your room, without friends, without community, without fellowship, to begin to cultivate a deeper fellowship with God, that relationship that you've always wanted, to begin to know Him in ways that you haven't known Him, or or even, honestly, to begin to cultivate real, lasting friendships with other people. When you're here at school, relationships can kind of happen sometimes without your without your intentionality, without any drive towards those things. They just kind of happen. You show up and there are friends around you. What if right now is a time for you to begin to uh, take steps in your relationships, to call someone up and say, how can I pray for you today? And how are things going? And to have a real conversation and and work on those friendships. What if uh, the temptation that you're facing, the temptation towards um, self-centeredness, towards pornography, as you sit alone in your room with your phone all day long, uh, towards uh, bitterness towards your family? What What if those things are opportunities that actually drive you to your knees in real desperation where you confess to God, I don't have the ability to move past this stuff, Lord. Unless, unless you work in me, unless your Holy Spirit's at work in me, I cannot move past them. What if you were able to come out of this whole social distancing, um, quarantine thing in a different state because you learned to hand things over to God, whether that be your fears or your isolation or your temptation, whatever those things are. What if you learned to serve your family in the midst of being angry at them. Uh, John Piper has this, uh, this quote that uh, I just recently read and I really love. He says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. That is, there is so much that God is at work in right now. So many strings that He's tying together. So many things in your own life that He is working together for your good to make you the kind of man or the kind of woman that He wants you to be. And the truth is, you might, if you're really paying attention, be aware of three of them. That, that some of the hardest things in your life may be for your best interest right now as you are growing, as He's doing something new in your heart. But that does get tough when we recognize, I don't get to see those 10,000 things. What if I don't know what those things are? What if I don't see how God's using my loneliness or my anxiety? What if this is just hard to me right now? That's true. When we don't get to see it, it gets difficult. And and that leads James to this one other verse that I want to read to you. And that's verse 5. Listen to what James says. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. In the context here, I believe the kind of wisdom specifically that James is talking about is the wisdom that lets me have God's perspective on my life. 
Not that I'll ever be able to see it perfectly as, as he does, because he sees all things, past, present, future, and what's going on all over the world. I'll never have that kind of knowledge. But, but I, I do believe that I can pray to, to let God allow me to see the way that he might be using the things in my life to at least have this perspective. Even if I don't see how it's working, God, I know that you are working this for my good. And James says, you don't have to pry God's fingers open on that one. He is generous when it comes to wisdom. He is, uh, gives ungrudgingly to everyone who asks. He longs to let you have his perspective, to let you have wisdom in those kinds of things. Um, so a few days ago, uh, some of us on the staff got online. We, we visited this webinar by this guy named Dr. Philip Jenkins, who I believe is a church historian. We, some of you who were on the Q&A yesterday, we told you a little bit about this. And, and he was basically talking about all the different pandemics and plagues that the church has gone through throughout history. And one of the things he said at the very beginning of that, of that little talk was this, that we are now in this moment as a church returning to a state of normalcy. I don't know if that sounds weird to you. That caught me a little bit off guard when I heard that. But what he was getting at is actually it has been a part of the normal life for the church and for the world at large to face large-scale disasters that we have no control over. Like for most of human history, it was a normal thing for plagues or famine or invading armies uh, to just kind of sweep through. And there's really nothing you could do about it. We didn't have the scientific, technological, medical advancements to be able to do that. All you could do was brace yourself and try and last through it. That's been normal for most of the church's existence. And, and it's normal today. He says this is actually bringing us to what has been normal for us, even if it feels so new for us. The church has been through a lot of different things. Actually, there were some major plagues that swept through uh, the Roman Empire during the early church days um, that really shaped them in a lot of ways. One of the first major ones was called the Plague of Cyprian, and it happened in the third century. Um, and this plague um, was way worse than COVID-19, way greater than that. They say at the height of this plague, um, it was killing upwards of 5,000 people a day in the city of Rome alone. Um, that's, that's 10 days and Stillwater's gone, right? And, and that actually happened. They said there were some cities that were wiped out for good or were abandoned in Italy for like ever, like never, never built back again. This, this, pandemic swept through and what happened is it caused a mass panic throughout the empire. Everyone was dying left and right and everyone who was alive was scared to death and they started just living completely for themselves and they started abandoning their towns and abandoning if loved ones got sick. They didn't care. They jetted because the last thing they wanted was to die like they saw other people dying and so people were leaving friends and family behind. People were running away. People were becoming completely self-absorbed and self-centered. But the church actually, in the middle of this, did not do those things. The church, in the middle of all those things, because of the hope that the church has in the life to come, because of the love that Jesus modeled for them, and because of the Holy Spirit living in them, the church actually began to do things opposite of everybody else. They started taking care of the people that others were leaving behind. They started living with a sacrificial love, and they chose to not be overwhelmed by their fear or be conquered by that. And they chose to begin to shine brightly in a world that had grown 
grown very, very dark. And it ended up in a lot of ways changing and impacting the empire and changing and impacting the, the way of the church, the way that it worked, um, shaped things radically. As, as a matter of fact, uh, Historian Rodney Stark says he believes one of the main reasons that the church went from this little marginal people group, it was at like 1.9% of the empire at the beginning of the 3rd century. The reason it became went from this small little marginal group to actually the dominant religion in the empire about 150 years later is because of the plagues. Now, we would say it's because of the Holy Spirit in them and that Holy Spirit working throughout the world. But the plagues were one of the major things that did that because the church looked so different. There's this bishop in Alexandria at that time named Dionysius. And he said that the plagues for everyone else were a reason for terror and panic. But for we Christians, he said, it is a time of schooling and testing for us. It is something that God uses to mature his people, making them like Jesus. And that's what happened to the church. When something disastrous came, the church came out bigger and purer and stronger than it was before, looking more like its master, looking more like Jesus. May that be true of us. I pray that at the end of all of this, that that God would make us a different kind of people, that um, He would do these things in us. We believe that God has the ability to make us a better people after this than we were, to use even the hardest things in your life right now, to use even the things that you wish you could avoid, the things you wish you could get away with, to use those things for your good. If you've been with us this year, you know that 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 promise that I just gave to you is not new. We heard Paul make that promise to us in Romans 8, right? Romans 8, 28, 29, we know this, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those He predestined, or those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that God uses everything to make you more like Jesus if you will let him. So here's my pleading with you tonight, my encouragement. Don't let the situation that we're in drive you to despair. Don't let this situation move you to laziness. Please don't let this move you towards a self-centeredness. Please don't become the kind of person who digs themselves into greater sinful habits as a way of coping with the boredom or the stress or the anxiety of whatever you're dealing with. Humble yourself before God. Let us, as a campus ministry, humble ourselves before God and ask Him to shape us and bring us as a brand new, grown-up people out of this event. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you. Now, real quick, you might be going, I have no idea how to do that, Drew. I mean, that sounds awesome. Become more uh, spiritual, become more holy, become more mature, but I don't know what to do to make that happen. Listen, if, if, if you don't know, um, we would love to help you learn what does it look like for me to read my Bible regularly? What does it look like for me to pray or to develop spiritual disciplines? How do I form accountability with people or be vulnerable about my sins? Man, that's what we're here for. And so we would love, Scott, myself, your table group leader, would love to help you think through these things and provide resources for you to help you grow. We want you to come out of this. We want us to come out of this looking more like Jesus. 
Jesus. So I'm going to pray uh, about that very thing, and, and then we'll hand it over to Scott, and we can talk through any questions or any things you may have, all right? Dear God, I do not like this situation. It's hard, and it has worn on me more than I expected it to. And I don't know, I don't know with all these students where they're all at, but I'm guessing for a number of them they feel the same way. And so, Lord, my prayer for us is that you would give us your wisdom to see things as you see them. Help us see your objective for our lives and not just our own. Help us see how even in the things that we hate the most, that you might be using those things, that you might be allowing those things to shape us and make us like your son. And I pray that you would do that for us as a ministry. We love you. We want to be like Jesus. We want you to have the glory from us being a brand new kind of people. So I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. website is like persecuteforthink.org but um, the email was kind of sending out to everybody on their list just reminding them that this COVID-19 is is an opportunity to experience uh, like a taste of what the persecuted church yeah. gets experienced on a regular basis that it's you know, um, you know you and I being inconvenienced you and yeah. I having limits put on our life you and I being forced to do things that we don't necessarily yeah. want to do. To not meet publicly. Yeah, Those, yeah. Publicly. I mean, so um, they're, they're just like, this is, this is a, a taste of that. This is a yeah. of that, you know. And I think it's, it is encouraging to think, um, yeah, how the church has, you know, it's like Jim said yesterday in this video, in, our, in that little Q&A, was when, when all of a sudden when it gets close to us, it exposes like you were describing at the beginning, what do I look, what do I want my life to be about? What do I think my life is about? And, um, and you know, comfort and pleasure and um, having all the amenities that we want. Yeah. All things become kind of exposed. Like, oh, wow, yeah. When those things are threatened, it really does expose them. Ted, dude, our, our, my cousin sent out a tweet shot just talking about how our idols get exposed pretty quick things that make us grumpy and stressed and fearful because we're missing them are good indicators of kind of some of the idols in our hearts sometimes. One of the things you said I think is is helpful for us all to hear, you know, in some sense you're kind of helping us all see that, especially students going back home, is that the, the added stress they're feeling is in normal. I even experience that in myself when I go home. I, I feel different when I'm with my family. And uh, early on in our marriage, Ryan noticed me kind of acting different around my family mm-hmm. than I do when I'm just with her. Oh, yeah. And it happens to all of us. And, you know, and so there's these habits that we want to change that we don't like. It's easy to fall back into. So there's all this added stress, new rela- old relationships that we're trying to manage now that are right there in front of us. And so... Um, you know, one of the things I want to encourage you, you all to do is, you know, Drew mentioned 
coping. Um, and I think one of the very 